I think we're broadcasting to the public now, Doug. All right. Uh-oh. You ready for this, dude? We're doing uh, we're doing episode number four. This thing might have legs. What do you think? I think we're on episode three. Is it three? Yeah, yeah. You're oh, it ahead. is three. Yeah, yeah, this is three. Okay, all right. All right, well, see. Good enough. I'm, I'm Good ahead enough. of the game. I am That's ahead right. of the game. <laughs> We've got a plan for number four. We won't tell anybody what it is, but we no, have a plan for four. No. It's a very good plan, though. Right. Well, cool. Well, uh, if you are just now watching this, watchers slash listeners, this is uh, the name of the show that Doug and I are putting together is called All About the Gear, and guess what it's about? Gear. gear. Specifically gear. So each week or each show, each episode, we're Doug K, through the graces of our good friends over at borrowlenses.com, is going to take a piece of gear, put himself in harm's way with the gear, and go, go out and shoot with it or use whatever the kind of gear is for a period of time, and then come back, and I'm going to grill him about it, and he's going to report his findings. And it's not the cool thing about this is, like, it's not like Doug, Doug will have Stockholm Syndrome, like, hey, I bought this gear, and now I love it, and this is why it's so great. He doesn't own the gear. He's renting it from uh, Borrow Lenses, which you can do as well, and playing with it and then reporting back to you, which is awesome. So, Doug, what, what, what are we talking about this week? Well, this week we've got one of the hottest new cameras out there. It's the Fujifilm X100S, which is the successor uh-huh. to the X100. Uh-huh. And I know... I know you've been lusting. You were that close to buying one, and I guess you still are. Is that right? I I still am. I you know I love that camera. Well, I can't say I love it because I've never actually physically touched the camera. But I tell you, all the people that I know and respect, or many of them, have told me either directly or indirectly that that is an awesome camera. Zach Arias even went he created a video. I think in the first few segments or the first few seconds of the video. It said something like, the DSLR is dead, and he was talking <laughs> about how this camera is the replacement for all that. Now, and this is what I want to get, get to in this interview, or this discussion. I, I have very specific reasons for wanting that camera. I wanted something compact, something small, something restrictive with the single lens mount, you know, or the single lens, or the fixed lens on there. I wanted something that's going to force me into being a photographer and less of a decision maker when it came to getting a shot. Decisions about you know which lens to use and all these other choices. I just want something I could whip out, turn it on, click, 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 and be creative and go. And this is what I thought that camera was. What are your initial impressions about that camera, Doug? Well, let me ask you this. So, what when you look at this camera, or when you imagine touching this camera... <laughs> what, <laughs> now you're just teasing me. <laughs> well, given the, given the criteria that you just mentioned, why would you want a camera even this large? Because this is not a pocket size camera. This is still a, you know, it's a compact camera. It's comparable to the NEX series or the or the um, uh, OMD series or the Leicas, but it's not real small. So, yeah. does that still fit your bill? I it, it kind of does because it, small is relative. Like small compared to my. Nikon DSLR, the D3 with a big lens on there, and you know, it's minuscule compared to that. The other piece of it is it looks freaking cool. (laughs) (laughs) The retro look of that camera, I just, I can see me hanging, you know, like, you know, sipping some coffee, and you know, I got the retro camera hanging out there, and I'm not really a pro photographer, but I look like somebody who knows about photography, you know? I don't know. So I was, so I went to a birthday party yesterday in San Francisco, and I took this camera along, and 
you know, mostly non-photographers there. Of course, there was one ringer who knew exactly what it was. But everybody else said, oh, what a cool old camera you have. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because this camera definitely has a retro look. And um, it, as you would expect, it's a successful camera for street photography because people think you've got this funky old camera and how much harm could you be, especially if you have gray hair. Uh, And so, you know, just ignore the old man in the corner with the camera. It worked out pretty well for that. Yeah. Um, Resisting digital. He's still whipping out that old camera. (laughs) That's right. Oh, yeah. People did assume it was a film camera. That's for sure. Um, Well, let's get into it. Um, because, as you said, this is a pretty hot camera. They're still real hard to get, uh, even though the camera came out in March or so. You know, our good friend uh, Valerie Jardin took this camera to Paris, I think, as her only camera. She's in now, love she's, with that thing. Yeah. She is. Well, now, she's a street shooter. So mm-hmm. this is a camera that is just right for her. And if people out there are street shooters, you may discover that this is the right camera for you, too. But I wouldn't say it's a camera for everything. It is really popular. I liked it a lot. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about what's good, what's bad, and a little bit about what's ugly about this thing, too. But let, let's go over some of the basics. First of all, it's an APS-C camera. It uses Fuji's X-Trans sensor technology, which means instead of the bare look, which is the red, green, blue, green, in other words, two greens for every red and blue, it has a totally different pattern in the sensor. Uh, the disadvantage of that is the raw files can be gigantic. Hmm. Warning, word of warning here, when you bring these raw files into Lightroom, unlike most cameras, you do not want to convert this to DNG. That will almost double the size of your raw files. You want to keep them in the Fuji format simply because they're almost half the size, but they're still large. They're still like 30, 35 megabytes. Um, Even though this is still a, what is this? Is this a 24 megapixel camera? I can't even remember. I got too many cameras around here, <laughs> but it's something like that. I, I think it's not. How come I don't have that written down? That should be right in front of me. I'm looking it up right now. I'll figure that out. You'll figure it out. You tell me. Anyway, huge raw, raw files. Okay. The other thing that's unique about it, a lot of things. It is a rangefinder camera at first, meaning you're not looking through the lens in any way. But it also has an electronic viewfinder. And you can switch back and forth using the funky little retro lever, lever here between... Um, let me go back to that view. You can uh, switch between rangefinder and EVF by simply pushing this cam- this lever, and it works great. Between um, rangefinder and EVF, so let's let's right. just explain that a little. By the way, it's a 16 megapixel camera. Thank you. To not 24. Um, so explain the the rangefinder versus EVF for the folks that may not know what that is. Okay, so a rangefinder camera is going back to the pre. DSLR pre-SLR days. So you have a you look through the piece the eyepiece here, but what you're doing is you're looking directly through this mechanism. And this is simply a lens that gives you a direct view of your scene without going through the the main lens of the camera. So you see something that is slightly off-center from your actual image. There's a certain amount of parallax involved. It's not fully accurate, but you're going to see pretty much the same field of view. The advantages of it are there is no lag in the viewfinder because you're seeing real time as opposed to an electronic viewfinder or an EVF where there's always going to be a little bit of lag. Uh, Also, this is not affected by anything you do to the lens uh, other than focus it. 
because as you focus the lens, there is some parallax correction that goes into this viewfinder. There are some guidelines that shift around from one side to the other to make up for that uh, parallax. But you're not getting any exposure data or... You do get that. There's a nice overlay. So but but not, not real time, like, okay, my blacks are flashing black because they're underexposed or anything like that. It's funny. There's a histogram. There's an exposure meter in the viewfinder, both when you're in rangefinder mode and when you're in EVF mode, because it's all overlaid. Yeah. Um, oddly, the histogram, the, the exposure meter updates, but the histogram does not. And I'm not sure quite why that is. Um, there's no reason, no excuse for it, really. It's rather annoying because if you try and adjust your exposure based on the histogram, the histogram doesn't change. And that's a, a what I call a bug in this camera. Um, mm. But it's, it, it is a problem. You so, think that's a firmware fixable bug? I, I would hope so because I, since they can move that, um, you know, the histogram is live. It just doesn't correct for the proper exposure. It's almost as though it's telling you what you're seeing through the EVF, which of course does tend to correct um, for the exposure. But you want to see, you know, are you are, are you blowing out your highlights? Uh, are you exposing to the right, as they call it, meaning shifting the histogram to the right? And you can't do that with this camera, and I don't know why that is. Anyway, so you have a rangefinder viewfinder. You can switch back and forth. I found myself using both the rangefinder and the EVF and happy with both of them. Um, most important about this camera is it has a non-removable prime lens, 23 millimeter, which on an APS-C sensor means you've got a 35 millimeter equivalent. So it's a wide angle lens, but not terribly wide. And it's f2, which means it's very fast for a, a small camera like this. I mean, think of, um, you know, if you had a, a an f2 zoom on your Nikon, you'd have a heck of a big lens, yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah. here is a prime APS-C f2 23 millimeter. It's a very sharp lens. Um, we won't talk about the lens much because it's really good. I mean, that's, yeah. I think, what people tend to like about it. It's sharp. You can shoot at f2 and not worry about it. It looks really good. Cool. Um one thing I love about this camera, uh, they've got it right. The controls on this camera are almost perfect in that you have a hard shutter dial, so you can adjust your shutter speed like you can on a real old-fashioned camera. It works great. You adjust your aperture with an aperture ring. Now, you th might think this is a real aperture ring and that it's moving the aperture in the lens, but it is not. It's actually fly-by-wire. Oh, that's so, cool. Okay. So although it has detents for F16, F8, all the way down to F2, those are really just being read by the computer in the camera and um, used to set the aperture. That's really cool. So it's a it 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 gives you the feel of that old mechanical camera with the benefits of digital and mirrorless. That's right. And there are a couple of interesting things about it. When you the reason you know it's by wire is you can move it all the way past F16 and it goes to the A setting, which is automatic. Hmm. So if you put this in uh, A and you put the shutter at some fixed shutter speed, then you have shutter priority. So you're selecting the shutter speed and letting the camera choose the aperture. Likewise, you can set the f-stop and put the shutter in the A position, and now you have aperture priority, where you select the aperture and the camera selects the shutter speed. And, of course, you can put them both in A, in which case the camera is going to uh, be in full auto mode. In fact, if you use auto ISO, uh, the camera is going to make all the decisions for you. 
You know what's cool that I, I noticed about all the stuff that you're explaining? Not once have you gone to dig through a menuing system on the back. You're like, that's just, it. That's cool. That, that's you're just it, right. changing that, everything by turning why, knobs. Yeah, that's why the controls are so good. And to the right here is exposure compensation. So if you're in aperture priority or shutter priority, um, you know, you can just get, you can dial in your exposure compensation in thirds of a stop, plus or minus two stops, two EV. Um, at first, I looked at this and I said, "Well, that's sort of weird. I mean, suppose I want to get something in between f4 and f5.6. How do I do that?" And then, separate from that, I actually discovered that at one point I had set it to f8, and the thing was set was showing me f7 in the viewfinder. I said, "Well, what's wrong? I set it to f8. Why is it showing me f7?" Well, it turns out that with the various knobs on the back, you can actually get one third of a stop. So. Uh, you can go from, let's say, uh, F4, I'm going to guess what this is. Let's say from F8, you can go to F9, um, 10, and 11, let's say, what if, if that's what it is. So you can get thirds of a stop. You can also get thirds of a stop on shutter speed the same way. So the dial says a 500th or a 1,000th of a second, but you can get third of a stop or 30V uh, values in between by using the controls on the, um, on the back of the camera. So, so as far cool. as auto bracketing, did I hear you right? You were saying you can go plus or minus two stops? That's exposure compensation. For exposure compensation. Right, not bracketing. That's okay. exposure compensation. So if you're looking at a scene and you don't like the way the meter is, is uh, metering the scene, you can sit there and you can say, I want to make this one stop brighter or one and a third stops darker, something like that. So you can essentially override the meter or tell the meter that it's not doing a very good job. That's exposure compensation. Got it. Bracketing is interesting. I'll, I'll mention that right now because it's something that I encountered. I just used bracketing yesterday. I shot a handheld HDR shot in San Francisco and the camera will do in-camera bracketing using, you have to go into the menus for that, uh, but that's not too bad. It will only do three exposures. It will only do one stop under and over. Uh, not too bad, but what's really weird about this camera is that if you shoot a bracketed HDR or a bracket exposure period, the camera essentially is unusable for the next nine seconds. And, and the it's reason doing is, the math and calculation. Well, it's not doing any math because it's not doing an HDR image for you. It's just doing three exposures, hmm. but it takes nine seconds for it to write those raw files out to the SD card. Mm. And unlike normal shooting, where you can shoot much more quickly, uh, for some reason these images don't seem to be buffered, and it, literally you can't take another shot for nine seconds. I don't what, know why that is. SD card? Were you using fast SD cards? Well, no, not particularly fast. Let's see what I got in here. You can see. Take a look. Switch there. You can see the normal thing. You open up the bottom. You got the battery. Uh, it's a Transcend, uh, you know, class ten card, thirty-two gigs. So you know it's not a it's not a wimpy card. It's not the fastest card in the world, but it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, while we're in here, I'll mention something about the battery. Um, as you know, all these small cameras have you know fairly small batteries, and uh, you you really should have a second one if you're going to go out for a day of shooting. And maybe a third. Yeah. Maybe a third. Here's here's what's weird about this one. I'm going to take this battery out. Now this is the 21st century. I want to point that out, right? Okay. I've taken this battery out. I'm not going to turn it around and put it in. Get out. That's you, cool. <laughs> no, it, no, no. Hang on. 
So I've put the battery in backwards. Yeah. Now when I turn the camera on, nothing happens. Oh no. Okay, so that's not cool. <laughs> I went I went out and I actually gave a demonstration of this to um some local members of the of the local photo club and I thought the camera was dead. And I gave up on this. I just said, you know, I'm not going to bother with this. I'll show you the Leica instead. Uh it turned out I had simply put the cam the battery in the other way. There's no indication at all that you've done this the wrong way. That is so weird. That seems like a huge oversight. I mean, I, yeah. How hard is it to just make the battery rounded on one side and square on the other so it well, won't it go is, in the right? Well, it way? is rounded on one side and square on the other, but you can put it in either, either way. And I'm, that's <laughs> why I said, this is like, hey, come on, this is 21st century. Haven't we figured this kind of thing out? Wow. So okay. that's something to watch out for, another another pet peeve, but, you know, one that but anybody... That's a, lesson, like, that's a lesson you learn once, I guess, right? And yeah, then, and the next yeah. time you turn it on and the thing is dead, you say, uh-oh, I put the battery in backwards and you're, yeah. you're not yeah. screwed. Um, but that's a, a strange thing about it. So the lens is sharp. It's fast. It's f2. It focuses very close. It'll go down to 50 centimeters or 20 inches in the normal mode, but all the way down to 10 centimeters or four inches uh, in the macro mode. So that's it's like a, this it, far, right? So yeah, that's like yeah. this. Four inches. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Wow. Um, here's another strange thing. So normally I wouldn't say this for a camera, but here's the camera. Let me turn it back on here. There's the camera. Mm -hmm. It's got this El Cheapo lens cap. It stays on. It's not a problem. But this is the first time I've ever felt this, and that is I would like to see this camera with an electric lens cap, you know, one of those little shutters that closes. Yep. Um, because it's it, the lens, the glass area of the lens is quite small, and it just seems to me that a walkabout camera, you don't want to have the lens cap in your pocket. And I would actually, for once, like to see this camera have a little thing that covers the lens when I turn it off. Yeah. Um, uh, Especially my, since you can't change the lens, right? I mean, right. You know, yeah. right. And we, we expect that from our point-and-shoot cameras, and I, I think it would be a good addition to this. And it, it shouldn't add much to it. Again, like you say, it's not a removable lens. Uh, it's not a zoom lens. It should be a fairly easy thing for them to drop in. And this is actually one of the few cameras where I think that would be a plus. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, the viewfinders here. So the electronic viewfinder is excellent. I think this has probably the best electronic viewfinder that I've used. Now, this is compared to the last show we did on the Leica that had one of the world's worst electronic viewfinders, right? Yeah. In fact, they didn't have one. They had You had to get one from Olympus or one that was made by Olympus and rebranded by Leica. This viewfinder is bright. It's responsive. It has, hooray, marvelous focus peaking. So for manual focus, again, this is an excellent excellent manual focus camera. We'll talk a little bit more of that in a second. The focus peaking, I wish you could change the color. It's only white. And sometimes when you're shooting a scene with, you know, lots of uh, uh, highlights or uh, reflections, you sort of wish, wow, you know, I wish I could actually see it in red or see it in green. Right. See the, see the well, define, define focus peaking. Okay. So focus peaking is, uh, it was first used in video quite a bit. Uh, and the idea is that you, when you turn on focus peaking, the viewfinder looks at adjacent pixels. And if adjacent pixels are high contrast, it lights them up in, in this case, white. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, if you have something that's out of focus, 
then your adjacent pixels will not be substantially different from one another, right? Because there's a blur that goes across, you know, many pixels when something's not sharp. When something, yeah. yeah, when something's sharp, then at some point the transition from one pixel to the one next to it is substantial. And in this case, it then lights up those pixels just in the viewfinder, obviously not in the image. And it, you see essentially what, if you were a Photoshop geek, you'd say, oh, that looks sort of like a, a high-pass image because it's using a high-pass filter, which is saying, show me where there's a big change from one pixel to the next. Well, it is one of the best ways to manually focus. And I have taken, in, in the week and a half I've had this camera, I've been using it in manual focus mode almost all the time. Uh, I've been doing, there's, a, yeah, there's an example of it there, right? There's some red focus peaking. Somebody has perhaps manually focused this lens. Thank you for finding that. That's great. It really shows up well, by the way. And um, you can see that all the high contrast edges of that baseball pitcher are in red. And in fact, even the ground uh, on the pitcher's mound is got red dots. You can, you can be out on the street. You can focus on the ground. Let's say you want to prepare for a shot. Someone's going to walk into your shot. You can just point down to the ground or don't even have to point. You can aim, look at the ground, adjust the focus, and the ground will sort of light up where it's, um, where it's in focus. And then you can prepare for someone to just walk into your frame. That's a kind so, of magic to me, really. I mean, coming from, you remember back in the day, Doug, with the split, split prism focusing where... You know, you you could you could pretty much nail it, you know, but it was it was still imprecise. This is like Terminator, Iron Man type technology. Yeah, know? yeah, and it is it is great. It also, if you think about it, it's also a pretty good way to judge your depth of field, which is very hard to do through any kind of viewfinder. Uh, and that is that you can see, you know, from front to back what's got these red highlights to it, and as you manually focus, that shifts. Uh, so you actually get a sense when you uh, switch to a different aperture. Now, um, that's going to vary camera by camera, be, you know, depending on on whether or not you're actually looking at the aperture. This is an interesting camera. One of the reasons I, I like it actually is that the um, the the aperture doesn't change until you take the picture. It's like a DSLR in that sense. So you're getting full light coming through at all times. But the but the EVF does dim. To give you a proper picture, so you're not you're not getting a true representation of depth of field until you snap the shot. I'm you know I'm gonna have to double check that and I'll put that in the notes that go with the video. Um, all I know is I loved manually focusing with this. It was great. Uh, the focus peaking was was just marvelous. You get a lot of data in the viewfinder. You do get a histogram that you can't use. You get the uh, <laughs> uh, the the metering. Of course, you get shutter speed, aperture. ISO, all the typical data that you'd expect there, exposure compensation, that all appears in the viewfinder. Yeah. Um, nice, very, very nice. Now, the rangefinder, on the other hand, which, again, you can switch to just by, you know, toggling the little lever here. The rangefinder uh, has uh, parallax correction lines, um, and when you press the shutter down halfway, you see those lines in the viewfinder. So you can get an idea of your parallax corrections just by pressing that. And uh, that's based on the distance that you focus to. So if you focus to four feet away, then it's going to show you the parallax correction for something that's four feet away from you. That's cool. Um, it always, it's always going to vary with the distance, of course. Um, 
again, using the rangefinder in manual focus is gorgeous because with this camera, as you turn the focus ring, it suddenly zooms in and switches to the EVF mode and shows you focus peaking. So it's like focus fine tuning. So you're sitting there, you're in the rangefinder mode, you're composing your shot, you just slightly turn the ring around the lens and bang, you get a zoomed in view with focus peaking. And then you let go and you press your shutter release down halfway and it pops back to rangefinder and allows you to do the final composition on the shot. That's, that's sick. That's like a that's like an enlarger, you know? Like when yeah. you when you when you throw a loop down on an enlarger and make sure the focus is right and nailed and then you expose the print. It sounds like very similar, only you're doing it digitally and live on the scene as you shoot it, right? Now you've seen this in the Sony cameras, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, the Sony has the same thing, whereas as you, they have a, a mode called DMF, which is yep. whatever, D manual, I forget what D stands for, but something kind dynamic of manual. dynamic manual focus. That sounds very Sony-ish right there. Yeah, <laughs> and so as you turn the focus ring, again, it zooms in and does the same thing, but this is doing it with a rangefinder, which is cool because it switches from rangefinder to EVF. To pull that off, and uh, wow. it does so very quickly, and it's responsive. It, you know, it takes getting used to, like anything. I mean, I'm 10, 11 days into the camera, and I'm still learning how to use it. But uh, yeah, and that's I, and I that's like the it. thing, right? I mean, if you can say you're you're Valerie, and you're out street shooting, you got this camera hanging down to your side. Once you once you form those pathways, those neural pathways in your brain of how the camera works, you whip it out, and you turn it, it, it seems, and if it works fast enough to keep up with your brain, it seems like that would be an awesome feature, just to like pull it out, focus on the old lady sitting in the chair, you know, it zooms in, you focus on her eye, you let go, click, boom, you keep walking, right? Yeah. Well, exactly, and, you know, we, are all get, we all get used to automatic focus with either our point-and-shoot cameras or our DSLRs, but this is a camera where Manually foc manual focusing really calls to you. Part of the reason is you can't zoom. So, you you know, what are you going to do with your left hand, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're not, if you manually focus a zoom lens camera, you're going to have to go from ring to ring, right. all right? And, you know, if you're like me, as you change lenses on your Leica, you tend to grab the wrong ring. Because, you know, one lens has the front ring is focus, the back one is zoom, or vice versa. Yeah. So this camera... You've got aperture. You can set the aperture, but you're going to do that probably once, just when you set up your shot. Then you've got your left hand free. Well, manually focusing is is actually a dream in this. And part of that also is you get much more confidence in your focusing than you do with any automatic exposure. Because with automatic exposure, you've got to stop and think, did the camera really pick the right thing? Did it accidentally focus on the background, uh, which happens so often? Yeah. Uh, or did it get my subject? If there are two people side by side, did it get the right person? You know, I want to emphasize one or the other. So I really do love manually focusing with this is camera. This, is this camera, does it have the, the concept of focus points in there where you can you yes. can define a point and then just use that? Yes. In uh, automatic focus, you have sort of the overall area mode where the camera selects the focus point from all that are available. Mm -hmm. Or you can put it in... Uh, single spot mode, and then you can move that spot around. You can say, pick this spot or that spot, and so forth. Uh, again, talking about nice controls, it has just what you'd want here on the edge of the camera. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, you can probably see it. Mm -hmm. um, there's a slide switch, and it's automatic focus, uh, sorry, manual focus, 
automatic focus continuous, automatic focus single exposure. Done. And uh, I don't use continuous much on this, but I'm switching between manual focus and automatic focus single. Um, for me, I just have I've learned to love it in, in manual. It's been great. Yeah, and there's no um, digging around through menus to change your your mode. What about could, like the the um, I want to say motor drive, but that's not it. So the continuous shooting mode. Can you like frames per second? Does it does it have the the modes, or I yeah, can shoot uh, ten frames per second or something? Let's see how well we can see the menus if we go here. Um, if we go to, I'll bring this back in when I can figure out how to use it. Well, let me show you a couple things about the menus. Well, all right, let's look at just the controls on the back. So these buttons on the left. Um, are, this is the button that switches between playback and shoot. Yeah. Um, next is your automatic exposure button, which is like automatic exposure lock. It's not lock. It's actually, it's actually telling it. I have to remember what that does. Oh no! All right, here it is. This is where you get a quick menu to switch between spot, multi. Um, or uh, average focusing. That's what that button does. So that's so just, you're just like you can, you boom, can hit that, it with your thumb and on. You just, well, you just yeah, you just push that button. It brings up a little special menu, and then you use the dial to switch between the different automatic exposure modes. Okay. That's all it does. Um, once you're in spot, then you have to move the spot around. Then you have the drive button, which is what you were talking about. Yeah. And here is where uh, you push one button. Again, you get a special menu that's very fast to navigate. It gives you a single image. Uh, continuous three frames a second, continuous six frames a second, um, bra automatic bracketing, uh, multiple exposure where you can expose multiple shots onto a single frame. Yeah, that's cool. Um, it has an in-camera panorama, which works pretty well. A lot of cameras have that these days. Uh, and then you have video. You also have video in this camera as well. Cool. Uh, which did you, I, did you shoot any video? I have it? not shot any video. No, okay. I have not. And um, I'm looking at the specs on BNH. It says it's got full HD 1080 video at 60 frames per second. That's yeah. That's become pretty standard. At least 30 frames a second, and 60 I think is becoming pretty common these days. Because then you shoot at 60, and you can slow it down and get yeah. nice gorgeous well, get, slow motion. Know, exactly. Um, and um, the last button here on the left is the um, a view mode, and that switches between the rear LCD, the electronic viewfinder, or both. And in the both mode, of course, it uses little sensors here that detect that your eyes up against the camera and switch automatically between the LCD and the uh, electronic viewfinder. Okay. Works great. the uh, The rear display or the rear display is fine. Um, one of the you know we talk about like the Sony and how much we hate the menus in the Sony NEX line. Um, we talk about the Leica, where they're bare bones because the camera's bare bones. This has, the, the old X100 had a strange, quirky menu system. X-Pro1, similar. The X100S has gotten better. Uh, first of all, they have still have the quick mode, which is also part of the OMD, I think. Doesn't your OMD have a quick mode button? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So the quick mode button brings up all the most important functions that you can get to quite quickly. So, yeah. for example, if I want to go over here to... Um, ISO. I can quickly go between any of the ISO values or ISO auto. Is that screen touch? No, it's not a touch screen. Okay. No touch. Okay. I had to push on it to be sure. Okay. Um, uh, so you can get to all the most important stuff this way, although there are a few things that are not so easy to get to. So that's the quick button. Um, you have a couple of dials. Um, 
you've got you know the ability to get in and out of macro mode quickly, flash quickly, you know deleting images on playback, get your white balance. Um, there's a button here that says uh, display. Actually, says display or back. Back means sort of like an exit button, but display um, allows you to change what data is in your display. So, do you want to get, you know, rule of thirds plus histogram? Uh, do you want to get just the image and nothing else? There are your autofocus points, mm -hmm. um, so you can uh, control the options both in the EVF and on the rear LCD. You can control what it is you actually get to see. Doug, is it safe to say that you're digging through the menus and all that, but the camera seems so simple that you would probably go through that stuff once or twice and get the camera configured to you, to your 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 shooting style, and then from that point on, at least on on whatever shoot you're on, you're just going to leave it there and and hit hit you know shutter speed, f stops, and maybe the continuous shooting mode, and you're just you're off into the races. Or did you find while you were running around San Francisco? Did you find yourself digging into the menu system at all? Well, remember, for this purposes, for the purpose of the review, I'm trying to exercise the camera in as many possible situations and possible modes as possible mm -hmm. that I can figure out. Of course, the one I mentioned, I didn't do video, and um, I, it's because I just don't consider myself a, an expert in video. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm trying different configurations. I'm trying the panorama. I'm trying HDR, multiple exposures. I'm trying manual focus, autofocus. I'm trying auto ISO, manual ISO. Um, and yet yesterday, even after I'd had the camera for over a week, um, I was at this party and uh, got some really bad images out of this camera. Hmm. And that's because, because of the low ISO? That's what happened. So I was in auto ISO mode. Yeah, and didn't didn't realize I had my maximum ISO set to 800, and I was in a dark San Francisco bar, mm -hmm. shooting without the flash because you know a dark room with flash you know looks like your worst iPhone shot. Right. right. So uh, in this case, the camera said, "Well, all right, he's um, he's shooting wide open on the aperture at f2. He's given me a maximum of ISO 800." Uh, I'm going to shoot this at a quarter second. Mm -hmm. I'm going to shoot this at a seventh of a second. Something's got to give, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I have a lot of people who look really drunk because they're really blurry. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, you know, learned a lesson. Um, mm -hmm. There's there's a learning... I wouldn't, bring, I wouldn't blame that on the camera, Doug. I'd blame that on no, you. That's right. But <laughs> it just shows you that this is, this is a serious camera. This is not a... Uh, this is not a consumer camera. It costs thirteen hundred dollars. It's not one that you know you should get for your spouse or partner who is not a photographer. They they would be much better off with a, a traditional point and shoot. But it is a camera that will not disappoint you if you're a serious shooter. And I think that's that's the best we can say about it. Is that if you're a serious shooter, this is it. Well, um, a couple of last questions on this. Though. The, you, you mentioned the ISO. I'm looking at the specs on B&H again. It says it's expandable ISO 100 to 25,600. Um, and with that f2.0 lens, that seems like perfect combination. If in the higher end of that ISO range, you're actually getting, you know, not golf ball-sized grain. What was your experience in with the, with the low-light performance of that camera? Yeah, I mean, I... In the bar last night, I wish I had shot at ISO 3200. Mm -hmm. ISO 3200 would have given me, 
you know, two stops better on shutter speed, and I think the grain would have been fine. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty good low noise, ca low noise high ISO camera. Um, I was very impressed with it. Um, so, 1600, 3200, I really don't hesitate with this camera. Getting up to 6400, now you're starting to get into some trouble with it. But, how, does, um, how, does it how does it perform comparatively to your NEX6? That's a good question. Uh, I would put it in just about the same category. Okay. You know, the 6 and the 7 are very close. NEX6 and 7 are very close. Uh, I think this is right up there. Now, the NEX7, being a 24 megapixel camera, means that it's actually more sensitive to noise than the 6 because, um, you're not, you know, you're starting to... I mean, you're starting to sharpen on the noise essentially by having smaller pixels. So, right. Um, wonder, do you know who makes the sensor for that? That APS-C sensor? Is it Sony? I, this one? Yeah. No, I think not. I think this is Fuji because this is their, you know, their their X-Trans non-Bayer sensor. Okay. That I think is unique to them. I think this is something they invented, and uh, you can go online and you look at look at the X-Trans sensor, and you can research it. There are a lot of articles written about it telling you why this is supposed to be the, the, the next best thing. Okay. Um, and again, the only the only disadvantage I saw was that it doesn't map into DNG raw format very well, so you get these humongous files. Well, the, um, the other the other question I had for you is regard to, regarding, and it, as I was sort of marinating in videos about this thing, it, it seemed that people were really liking the film modes and the filters and stuff that are inside the camera, because um, you can shoot them if, correct me if I'm wrong, you could shoot it with a film, mostly black and white or whatever, and then it would record the JPEG with that, with that, those settings applied to it, but also give you the raw so that you could, you know, massage it later. Yeah. Did you did you play with any of that stuff? I did, I did, and uh, that's not usual for me. I'm usually just a raw file guy, mm -hmm. but I have been out shooting with raw plus JPEG and using some of the various presets for the JPEGs. It's a perfectly reasonable way to use the camera. Um, and of course, Fuji has some track record here because being a manufacturer of film, uh, they're trying to emulate their films. Mm -hmm. And that makes Velvia. it sort of Velvia, yeah. So Velvia is sort of fun. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they have a Chrome look that, you know, tries to look a little like Kodachrome. They've got a few different presets that are really sort of fun. And um, you've got nothing to lose because you've still got the raw file. So it's a, and you can also do preset bracketing. So you can go out and say, I want to shoot this with three different presets and actually get three different JPEGs out of it. And that's sort of, that. yeah. sort of a kick to do. Nothing, nothing to lose except disk space. Yeah, <laughs> remember, the JPEGs are tiny compared to the raw files. Correct. So, yeah, they're nothing. You know, and you can always delete them when you get home. Mm -hmm. A couple of things I think that are important to talk about on this. One is, uh, first of all, it has a leaf shutter in the lens. And that has two interesting aspects to it. One is that the way the shutter is designed, you cannot get high shutter speeds at wide apertures. So uh, it gets a little bit weird. If you're at um, if you're at f8 or or um, smaller, mm -hmm. um, is it smaller or wider? Hang on a second. I may have this backwards now. I just I just went through a lot of trouble to study this, and now I'm I'm. 
Now, now I realize I've got this written down probably incorrectly. Just but turn the, the page point. upside down and read it. There you go. There you go. All right. Here, here are the notes, right? We'll get, take a look at this. At F8 or smaller, meaning F8, F16, and so forth, you're, you cannot go faster than a four thousandths of a second. Well, the camera won't go faster than a four thousandths of a second. Anyway, that's its fastest shutter speed. Yep. But um, at F4, the best you can do is a two thousandths of a second. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think if I have this right, and again, someone's going to correct me right away as soon as we post this uh, show. If you want to shoot at f2, I'm pretty sure at f2, you can only shoot at like a thousandth of a second. Okay? So what do you do when you want to shoot wide aperture in daylight? Well, they've solved that by putting in a hard ND filter. There's a there's a physical ND filter that you can turn on inside Unfor- the camera. Inside the camera, unfortunately, you have to go either into the menu system, or you can program the function button, the the infamous or the famous FN button that so many cameras have now, and you can program the FN button to quickly turn on the ND filter or turn it off, and that gives well, you. Th- that g- you continue ND filter. What's yeah. an ND filter? Okay, good. And how many stops is it? Thank you for asking that. It's a, an ND is a neutral density filter, which simply blocks light. And it does so in a neutral way, meaning it shouldn't affect the color. And in this case, it's a three-stop ND filter. So, for example, if, um, if you shoot at a thousandth of a second and you put in a three-stop filter, that's the same as shooting at an eight eight thousandth of a second. So it goes from 1,000 to 2,000, 4,000, 8,000. So it's literally giving you three stops less light. Now, for people who aren't used to that, well, why would you want less light? Why would you want something that blocks light? Well, the advantage is, first of all, you may have too much light for the scene, but in particular, if you want to shoot wide aperture, if you want to have shallow depth of field, you need to open up the lens, which lets in more light, you have to then go to a faster shutter speed, which reduces the light. And in this camera, you need the ND filter in order to reduce the light for enough to shoot wide open in the daylight. Yeah. So that's key. Even at the lowest ISO, which is really 200 ISO. The other thing about this shutter is you can put this camera in silent mode. And... You know, we did a thing with the Leica where we held it up to the microphone and you heard the click and you heard the sound and it Mm -hmm. sounded like it was winding the film. Mm -hmm. In this camera in silent mode, you can't even hear it if you're taking the picture. Like it it makes no, not even a a little click, no no, no. no sound at all? My hearing's pretty good and I couldn't hear it until I put it into continuous shooting mode and held down the shutter button and then I could hear it go. It is... It is so quiet. And in fact, it's a little freaky. Quiet mode is the is the don't get caught shooting, taking a picture mode. Yeah. And so what that gives you is it it turns off all the sounds, it turns off the autofocus illuminator, and it turns off the flash. So in silent mode, you can't use any even fill flash on this camera. So you're sort of this is why the camera is sophisticated. Here you are, you're trying to shoot in the bar, you want to use some fill flash. The damn flash won't come on. You don't even have that choice in the menus. You're trying to figure out why, and then you finally say, oh, well, because I've got it in quiet mode, and, of course, the flash isn't going to work in quiet mode, right? right. So 
You Does it have any it. indicator that, that's obvious that says, hey, I'm in quiet mode, so that you know? Oh, it probably does. I haven't found it. Okay. I'm sure there is one. I don't know if you see it through the viewfinder or not. Anyway, quiet mode is really, really quiet. And it's that's cool. I really do like it. So, do, what, what's this, what does this camera go? You said $1,300 for the body? Oh, I was going to say for the body only, but it comes with a lens. No, with right? a lens, yeah. It's $1,300 if you can find them. There's they, The camera came out in the spring, but they're still really hard to get. Yeah. Um, but that's going to get better. Um, yeah, that's what they said six months ago. Yeah, and I'm gonna, yeah, right, right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna quickly just run through a couple of other things. See if I Go missed anything. Uh, the menus on this are good. I like the menu system. Um, the flash is great for fill. Um, the flash compensation is almost impossible to find. It exists. It's buried deep into the menus. We talked about the battery problem. The fact that you can put it in wrong and the camera just then doesn't work. Um, the, the we talked about that the presets of the JPEGs. Oh, let's just talk about the complaints. Let me just run through my negatives on this camera. If you're thinking about it, because if you're thinking about this camera, you you should know what the problems that I found. First of all, the fact that the histogram is literally wrong in manual exposure mode. By the way, this is a well-known problem, and the old X100 before the X100s had the same problem. Mm -hmm. um, Lens cap, minor issue, but I wish it didn't have it. it for those of us who are histogram freaks, um, again, histogram, for those who don't know, is a little map that shows you how much of your image is dark, medium, light, and so forth. Um, I like to see an RGB histogram that shows me for red, green, and blue separately whether my image is overexposed or underexposed. There is no RGB histogram. Um, uh, huge raw files. The reversible battery we talked about, the fact that the bracketing takes nine seconds to shoot a three-image RAW file. I don't get that. Someone's going to help me figure out why that is. Nine seconds? That's that's a nine, long nine, time, dude. Yeah, it'll go, well, it'll go click, click, click. It'll take the exposures, and then the back of the camera says, I'm working on it. I'm saving him to disk. Or I'm saving him to flash. I mean, so. I mean, it's got so, to be that card. Yeah, that seems outrageous. I don't know. Maybe been a good card on every other camera I've had it with. Hmm. So so this um so you're gonna ask me the next question. Which is what I what your final <laughs> what's the final word? What's the what's final, final takeaway? Um, yep. Yeah. I'm not gonna buy it uh, because for for me because even for a small camera I want an interchangeable lens camera. Hmm. I might go out with a 23, 24, 28 millimeter prime and get the same thing, but I don't think I want to have yet another camera that has this fixed thing. However, like a lot of things that are simple, the discipline does add to your photography skills. There is no doubt about that. And there's also the liberation of going out into the field with a camera that minimizes your choices. And, um, this is a good camera. I think for someone, Valerie uh, Jardin, for example, she used it as a travel camera as well as a street camera. She was very successful with it. And Valerie's you know, a better photographer than either of us. So we have to listen to her. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. and, um, but I would say if what you want is a fixed focal length, non-interchangeable camera, this may be one of the best that's out there. There is no doubt about it. You know, you've got to buy it for you. And it, it, what I'm, I'm, I'm reconciling is earlier you said that this 
this camera is a pros camera because of the you know it, it you have to know and understand photography to use this camera or else you can find yourself in hot water mm-hmm. but it's it, it's deceptively simple when you look at it but which means a lot of people may look at it and say yeah I'm, I'm having a kid I'm going to I'm going to go pick this up you know so we can just take it out and take baby pictures but it's not Unless you know what you're doing, it's not that camera. Is that, yeah. is that fair? Let, let's not say it's for pros. I mean, uh, any serious photographer, pro or otherwise, is going to like this camera. Don't get me wrong with that. And what's nice about it is it gives you what you need, and when you don't need those things, it stays out of your way. Hmm. Right? You have to be careful that Sounds you don't like a good significant see, other yeah. right there. I like uh, it, that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm married to one of those, too. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, again, just understand the limitations, and there are people who want a camera that does just this, and if so, I recommend it. You know, the, one of the big competitors, the Sony RX1, and now the um, uh, there's a newer version of that out, too, and I think we're going to take a look at that in a future show. Mm-hmm. That's a camera that cost, you know, instead of $1,300, it cost almost $2,800, um, and it's, 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 a, you know, it's, a better, it's a better high ISO camera than this one. But, boy, I, I thought this was a really, really well-done camera by um, Fujifilm. So, bottom bottom line buying advice, Doug's not going to buy it because it doesn't fit in with just, the interchangeable lens just, specifically. Yeah, just me, personally, I think if if this is the type of camera you want, I recommend this highly. I think it's beautiful. Love it. Well, thanks. You've been absolutely no-helped for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, back where I started. Thank no, you. No, but you know what you do? You go to borrowlenses.com. Thank yep. you, Borrow Lenses, for giving us access to this camera and for, for keep, keeping this show alive. Yep. Uh, and um, rent one. Just that's rent ex- one. That's exactly you know? what I'm going to do. I'm going to. I'm actually. I like driving over because they're local for me. You know, yep. I'm going to. I'm going to drive over and pick it up. And you know, they'll probably give me the same one that you had. So don't probably, don't be. Yeah, it it's going that. back this afternoon. So uh, <laughs> we just got this done. And you know, one of the great things about Borrow Lenses is. Their minimum rental is three days, and you can basically get a long weekend to shoot with anything you want. And, you know, you, sure, if you if you go out and rent a dozen cameras, you'll spend as much as if you had bought one of them, perhaps. But right. you get to try all sorts of stuff, and uh, that's, what I, that's what I do. Um, even when they're not sending me stuff for the show, I rent stuff from Borrow Lenses, and it's, uh, it's kept me very busy. Yeah, I think that that's the way to go these days. I mean, because you can research online, you can watch a million YouTube videos, you can read articles and magazines and all this stuff, but nothing is a substitute for having the thing in your hand, right? Yep. So, and Borrow Lenses is awesome because they give you that. You can just go in and or get online and get the thing, play with it, and say, oh, yeah, this was great in the specs, but doesn't really fit me. So, yep. and then send it back. And, and all of these things get real personal. So, um, mm-hmm. give it a try. Um, Again, I think if this is the kind of camera you want, this may be the camera you want. Awesome. So what's so give me give me a cliffhanger. What's uh what are we gonna be talking about in the next show or upcoming shows? Well, we got some fun stuff coming out. Um, well, first of all, <laughs> we're gonna flip this on its head, and I'm gonna interview you about. Yes. Is, it, is that camera still in your hand? Is it nearby? It is not nearby. Not, okay. The camera I was shooting with it is yeah. sitting downstairs charging. A, you have a what? Tell us what you've got. I've got a Sony NEX 5R. Thank you, Sony, um, that I've been falling in love with. It's an awesome camera. It's got an APS-C size sensor on there. Um, it is tiny and minuscule, but it has 
I mean, this is my first time, like I told you, this is the first time I ever shot with an NEX anything or a Sony anything. So I was going from, you know, my Nikon world into mirrorless with the, with the Olympus OMD and Sony, you know, let me use this thing. And I'm like, okay, this is, because <laughs> it's got the focus peaking, it's got the larger sensor in there. It's, it, you know, we'll talk about it in the interview, but it's, uh, it, it blows me away in a lot of ways, specifically because of the, a lot of the technology that it has in it. For example, it's got this, I think they call it intelligent auto mode, where it's going to do an HDR in the camera, but it's not telling you it's an HDR. It's just going to instantly expose three images, process them together to get the highlights and the shadows in balance, and then give you the final image in a JPEG, but also give you raw, you know. So stuff like that, I call it like the terminator of cameras, and we'll talk about the pluses and negatives of it. So I've got I've got negatives too, but uh -huh. yeah. and so I want to make a, a another request for all of our viewers out there. Please send us put comments either on YouTube or on Frederick's blog, or in anywhere you can find us on Google Plus anywhere we we hang out. But please tell us what you'd like us to do in future episodes of All About the Gear. We have uh, a lot of stuff we have access to. We can play with things. We can compare things. We can go to the obscure and the unusual, thanks to borrowlenses.com, and tell us what it is you'd like us to cover in future shows. Yeah, absolutely. And I would, I would take that one step further. First of all, it doesn't necessarily have to be cameras. We started with cameras, but it could be lenses that you want us to play with. It could be lighting or lighting equipment, all that kind of stuff. So I would suggest um, go over to borrowlenses.com, poke around in their catalog, and say, yeah, I want to learn more about this thing. And, you know, maybe you would just send us a link to it or tell us what it is, and we'll, we'll get it and play with it. I can imagine now what they'll say when we want them to send us a half a dozen tripods. <laughs> I'm wondering how this fluid head compares right. to that one. <laughs> that would be a short show, though, right? Yeah. Thank you, Frederick. Thank you, man. This is awesome. I'm looking forward to the next show, and uh, we got to keep these all about the gear episodes going. I think I think this thing might have legs. It seems to be working for us anyway. Let's hope the audience loves it too. All right, cool. See you later, uh, man. Yeah, let us know, folks. All right, see you, Dick. Bye, bye.